the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Then tongues again, and then you're going to hear the word language. The first one says tongues as a fire. So in other words, that probably is referring to some type of an organ that looks like my tongue. All right, we're going to look like that. Now here it says you're going to speak with other tongues. The reason is, is you're not going to speak with something that looks like fire, like a tongue over there. You're going to speak with a real tongue over here. And that's where it changes into the word language later on. Now this is key. Nowhere in this passage does it talk about that you speak in some form of a gibberish where you create your own language, whether it's a prayer language or something else. It is not gibberish. In fact, the Greek word is a word that we get our word dialect from, so it's actually a known language. What's so supernatural about this is that this known language is not known to the person who's speaking it. It is supernaturally given him to do that. Now listen carefully again. That does not mean that everyone who trusts Christ as Savior today, who, when they are baptized and dwelt and filled, will speak in this tongue. Why did that happen? As you read through the context, and that's what's so critical about this, why that happened was, first of all, to show audibly and then visually and then vocally that the Spirit of God showed up. All right. And that now the Word of God is to spread throughout all of the world. Now, there's more to that as we continue in the story. This is beautiful. Follow along now. So now they have this gift of using their tongue, we'll say. And what are they going to do with it? Verse 5. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem. Well, first of all, we know there was Jews that came from all over that area because they're coming back to the Pentecostal feast. But there were also Jews living in Jerusalem. And my goodness, you already know that. The place is just loaded with Jewish people. Then it said, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's kind of a euphemism for all the lands, everywhere around, every nation. So now you're going to see there's all sorts of Jewish people, devout Jews, men and others that are present while this is going on. Now stay with me now. And it says, and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were, stop there and look up here. What's just happened now is we saw that the Spirit of God shows up and there's this sound that they don't know. There's this tongues that look like fire and then there's this special time where they begin to communicate in a language that they don't know. So something's happening. So if that happened, what do you think with all these strange people, all these people on the outside, what do you think they're going to do in this room, 120 people, and they hear something going on? What do you think a response they're going to have? That's why we get what's the response. What do you think if all of a sudden in here I gave a message and this place erupted into some of the same kind of stuff? What, what, what would happen? What would you do? Well, that's what was happening. And I want you to see, I want you to see four responses. You're going to go very quickly because they're just boomity boomity boom. There's actually a fifth response and why I want you to be here next week because I want to share with you what is that fifth response because it's the fifth response that now takes the church and moves it forward. But right now we're going to look at just four and we'll be done. Let's look at them in the passage here. 
then maybe find if this would be your response. Maybe inside your heart you're seeing, this is my response. So it says, when this sound occurred, I don't believe the sound that they're hearing that occurred was these guys speaking in these tongues. I believe when it says, and this sound, it's referring to the sound of the rushing mighty wind because that's the main thought as it starts at the beginning of the passage. So when they're hearing this loud sound, and then the crowd came together and they were bewildered, which means they were confused. Why now? Because each one of them was hearing them speak, that other person speak, in his own language. Wow, think about that for a moment. They're coming in there, they're really confused. What in the world is going on? Have you ever been that way? Have you ever heard a sound and you were just bewildered by it, confused? A few years ago, I sleep really well. Carol will tell you that when I go to bed at night, I'm somewhere between upright and my pillow. I'm already asleep, so we don't have conversations. All right? And so I'm sound asleep. And when I fall asleep, I mean, I am so dead to the world. Now, I get up early. I have a problem jumping out of bed. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those springers in the morning. All right, but when I go to, I go to sleep. I woke up a few years ago in the middle of the night because a sound was so weird, it startled me. It startled me so bad that I, 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 I heard a big sound somewhere in my dream. But when I woke up and I'm waking up, I'm hearing this other rushing sound that's going on. And so I leaned over to Carol and I said, Carol, what did you do? No, I didn't say that. I said, did you hear that sound? She said, I, I, I hear something. So I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, what, what just happened? And I, I couldn't figure out where, what it was. What it, so I said, and Carol, I'm like a cat. I got to go see what it is. So I put on, I go outside and I can't see anything. And I'm looking out down the road. I say, wow, that is so cool. Look at our neighbors put in this beautiful fountain. I'm looking at this water spraying 40, 50 feet up. And the, the, the lights of the community are shining. out. I said, this is so, I got to go get Carol. So I wake up. Carol, look at, they turned on their fountain in the middle of the night. And she said, that's no fountain. Something's happened. And so I went down to the end of our block, and sure enough, sadly, in a way, um, there was a person who had been inebriated. They lost control as they went around the corner of our neighborhood, and they hit a fire plug. But they hit it so hard that they severed the fire plug, but it's not like in the Keystone Cops where the car's up on top and all this stuff like in a cartoon. He just kept on going, and he left it. And I'm watching this geyser. By then, people are coming. The water's flooding the whole area. And they found the guy because all he had to do was follow the wet trail that was dripping from his car into his carport. But the point still being is, it was a sound I did not know, and it drew my attention to it until I could discover what it was. It was that sound that brought these people there, and they were confused because this was something that was happening they did not know. Let's go down to the second reaction. After they're scratching their heads with this complete confusion, they do something else with it. And again, this is very confusing. Some of you here today might be so confused over, what is this going on? You're bewildered. I understand that. Then another group, verse 7 says, and they were amazed and astonished. Well, you can't get too far away from that. So basically, it was amazement and astonishment. And they said, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, that's an interesting question. How is it that that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Now, this is so cool. This is, again, letting you know how God is working. All these people that are saying, What's with these Galileans? We're hearing them speak in our language. 
In a few moments, I'm going to tell you what languages these guys all came from. They came from Middle East. They came from Asia Minor. They came from West Africa. They came from the Mediterranean area. These guys were from all over. And now they're here with their own dialects and languages. They come here and they hear these Galileans speaking their language that they did not know. And they're saying, why would these Galileans do it? Now, when you read that, you'll walk away and say, oh, no big deal. I can, let's go on with the rest of the passage. This is important because the Galileans were from a tiny little farming area in northern Israel up there that were mostly known for just, I don't want to say inbred, but they, they lived in that area. They did not have great exposure to the outside. They never traveled. They didn't get in commerce. They didn't go to special seminaries and colleges and universities. These were just little old homeboy farm boys out there. But it's Pentecost, so they've got to do their Jewish thing, so they head on into town. And while they're there, they're having this time together. These are the apostles. They're now learning all of this stuff from the Lord. The Spirit of God comes down, and now they're going to speak. In a known language, but not known language to them. And that's why these people are amazed. Look at these, we'll say it, ignorant Galileans speaking a language. How would they ever learn this stuff? So now they're amazed. What's happening now is they're starting to think something must be supernatural. Something is up. We don't want to walk away too soon. We don't understand it. Now we really don't understand it because these guys are speaking this language. So the apostles and a few of the other people are speaking this Known language to the ones who are watching, but not to them. Now, verse 9 and verse 10 and 11, it talks about the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia. That would be the, the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, Judea. That would be where Syria is mostly today, Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. All of those are parts of Asia Minor, Egypt. And by the way, Egypt has a city called um, Alexandria in there. And Alexandria was two-thirds Jewish. The districts of Libya, you've heard of Libya around Cyrene. And the visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, which would mean Gentiles who decided to be Jews. Those are proselytes, verse 11. It says Cretans, which is from the island of Crete. So they even came over. Arabs. It says we hear them in our own tongue or our own language. Now pause for a moment. How, how many of you, English is not your primary language? I, mean, I don't know how, how many people we have here, but you have a more home language. Does anybody have that here? Okay, I see a couple of hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. Maybe if you're Hispanic, maybe you would have a language more that you do better in, in, in the Spanish language than you do in English, but you can still speak English. Have you ever heard the, to- the term, oh, um, Spanish is my mother tongue. Have you ever heard that phrase? I'm, I'm only second generation American. My, my parents would speak a little bit of Polish, a lot of what they would call Bohemian, which is a mixture of other languages, but created their own language. And so they would speak that language, and that was their mother tongue. So when you hear the word tongues, it doesn't necessarily mean gibberish. It means another language. So this is their mother tongue. So these folks coming from all over, they're hearing the language in their mother's tongue, in what they grew up with, what they learned. Go back to the passage. What were these guys saying? What were the apostles and others speaking? Particularly the apostles, in my opinion, were the primary speakers. What were they speaking? Notice this, in verse 11. They were speaking of the mighty deeds of God. That is so correct in what was happening. Because the Spirit comes down, the Spirit gives them utterance to be able to speak. What they're going to speak is not going to be contrary to the Holy Spirit. They're not going to speak truths that are contrary to God. They're not going to speak truths contrary to the revealed Word of God. They're going to match what they're saying to what God is saying because God has a message for them for this whole purpose was to fill them with the Spirit as well as to take that message of the Gospel throughout all the world. So they're speaking the mighty words of God and who God is through His works. So this was all all happening. I can only imagine they're listening now to their 
First message, God is on the throne. God has done great works. God sent his son. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. Jesus died and he rose again. Jesus is coming again. All this about the Messiah. They're hearing the wonderful works of God in their language from at least 12, quote, ignorant people. Let's go back to the passage. But that's not enough. It says, and they all continued in amazement. That means they didn't leave. They were still amazed. And great perplexity happened. That would be they began to doubt and they said to one another, what does this all mean? I can only imagine some of you are saying, what is that guy ranting about up there on that podium? What is, what is so, you're wondering too. And so there's a little bit of doubt going on in there. I don't really understand this. Could this really have happened? Is the Bible really true? Does that really mean that the spirit comes and all that? And then finally we get to the last reaction and that is, but others were mocking and they were saying, you know, those guys, they're just full of sweet wine. In other words, they'd say, those guys are absolutely drunk. Today we would say, those guys are just out of their minds. Now, I want you to come back because in the future you're going to find out next week. How did Peter respond to those who were confused, those who were amazed, those who were doubting, and those who were mocking? How did he treat those people? He gave them a wonderful message. It was a message of how they can know that they can have eternal life. I'm going to give you a preview of that by just sharing with this. Could you look up here for just a moment? Let my right hand represent you and me. And if you will, let my wallet right here represent all the things we've ever done wrong. This is you and me, and this is all the things we've ever done wrong. So that means we all have sin on us. We have a sin nature, so that means we're going to continue to sin. So we're a sinner. The Bible says we're a sinner. The Bible says that because we're a sinner, we're going to be separated from God when we die eternally and placed in a horrible place called hell. The Bible says to go to heaven, though, that we have to be 100% perfect. Revelation 21 says if we tell one lie, we can't get into heaven. We have sin on us. Now listen carefully. With this sin on us, and we have to be perfect, and we'll never be perfect, the Bible goes on to say that good works will not get us to heaven. So even if I turn over a new leaf and I promise God I'll stop this or start that, no good deed I do myself. Even if I promise God I'll turn over a new leaf, I have sin. It's so much a part of me. So I can't pile good deeds on top and I can't try to take away enough of my sins because I am a sinner. That's who I am. And because I'm a sinner, I'm separated from him. Let my left hand now, can you see this in the back? Let my left hand represent God I took on flesh. Notice my sin separates me from Christ. God in the flesh is Christ. Here I am with my sin. My sin separates me from Christ. It also separates me from heaven. I will die in this state no matter how good I am or how religious I am. But God says, I love you, but I hate your sin. I hate your sin because it keeps you from coming to me. It keeps you from having a relationship with me. It keeps you from going to heaven. I hate that sin so much, but you can't do anything to get rid of it. So Jesus Christ was born Christmas. Jesus Christ lived this life getting ready to launch this message so other people would follow it. And then he says, I'm going to die on the cross. Look what he did. He took all my sin on himself when he died. He didn't pay for part of my sin and I pay for part. He paid for all of them. He didn't pay for my past sins. We, I pay for my present sins or future sins. He paid for all of them. When he died, he died and he rose again from the dead. He made the complete payment for my sin. My sins have been paid for by Christ. That doesn't mean I'm automatically now going to heaven. I still need to have him, Christ, give to me his righteousness. In other words, I must trust in him. He says, I've done the work part. You do the believing part. So Jesus Christ says this, most quoted verse in the Bible. Watch again. Here it is. See if you remember it. For God so loved you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. That whoever you are, whatever kind of person you have been, whoever you are, 
if you would believe in him. Not just believe, not just believe and behave, not just believe. And to stop, it's simply placing your faith in Christ. When you trust Christ, watch what happens. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am taken and placed in the body of Christ. I can never be released from his body. The Holy Spirit comes inside of me to dwell within me. So he keeps me saved by his power and by his presence forever and ever and ever and ever. When he comes inside of me, I not only have what we might call fire insurance from hell, but I also have the intimate relationship ability with God. And I have him to teach me, to comfort me, to convict me, to be there every moment of my day. We now are... Our life is now hid in him. That happens the moment you trust Christ as Savior. Did you notice what I left out? There is no heaven to keep the commandments. There's no water baptism. There's no joining a church, stopping this, starting that. It's you coming as a person, whoever you are, saying, I don't want to lose and spend eternity in hell. I want to be able to have eternal life in heaven. Folks, I don't know when I'm going to die. I could be hit by a truck going out here today. I could die of an old-fashioned heart attack right up here. But I tell you right now, should that happen to me, I will spend eternity with God. I'll be absent from the body, present with the Lord, because I've trusted Christ. Some of you might have known some people in your life as you look back. Or you're wondering, hmm, they're gone now. I wonder if they're in heaven or hell. I can only tell you this, that salvation is something that is so personal that it begins in your heart, in your mind first. It is very private within you. Yes, we should go public, but not to be saved and not to stay saved. It comes within us the moment we trust Christ as Savior. So you can have a very quiet, private, undeveloped faith, but one that is just as real because it's not how much faith you have, it's in whom you place your faith. So you can, at the moment of whatever you're going through, finally cry out and say, Oh, God, save me! At that very moment, never be able to tell anyone that. You became a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ, baptized into his body, momentarily indwelt, never to lose your salvation, and have a home waiting for you in heaven. And that person right now could be up there with us, waiting for us. So I pray, my friend, that wherever you are, that you will place your faith alone in Christ. I'm going to say something, and I, I would love to have not been here at the microphone. I wish I could sit next to you and put my arm around you. I wish I could be there in the back of your lanai where I could just show you my love for you when I say what I'm about to say. If, um, if your loved one trusted Christ as Savior and let you know or didn't let you know, but authentically trusted Christ as their Savior by faith alone, when they die, they'll be in heaven. If you decide on your own, I don't want this, I don't really care, it's a bunch of gobbledygook, wild bunch of people, I want to keep on investigating, whatever choice you make to put it off, whatever reason for putting it off, and you die... And here's what I want to say in the love. You will spend eternity away from the very person that you love. And you don't have to. All you have to do is trust Christ right now in your heart. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to fill out a card. You don't have to do anything. Just trust Christ as your Savior. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's brought you the truth. He's brought you to the point of need, conviction. He's shown you the truth of salvation. He's ready to come into your life if you'd simply trust Christ as your Savior. I never see you again, but I hope to see you in heaven. And I will, if you trust Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? <clears throat> that's the birth of the church, and that's the birth of Christianity. But the born again of you happens the moment you trust Christ as Savior.
So if you would like to be a part of the eternal community of the redeemed, then you need to place your faith alone in Christ. Now, how do you do that? Well, that's where it gets so simple, it's almost overly simple. It's not really a prayer, but it is a mental transaction. You do have to change your mind. That's what the real meaning of the word repent is. It's not change your life, it's repent. Metanoia, meta change, neuro, mind, brain. So change your thinking. The first thing you have to do to change your thinking is you have to realize that Jesus Christ is God. If you don't know that, then change your mind and believe that. Secondly, you have to change your mind about yourself and yourself being that you're not good enough to get to heaven, you never will be, and that you're a sinner and you need a savior. So change your mind about thinking your way to heaven will get you there. You have to change your mind about the way of salvation. Jesus says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Yeah, there are a lot of verses that talk about living a good life. And we will always tell people, that's why I've given my life to have people have a life that will be pleasing unto the Lord. But my message would be damnable if I told those people that that's what they had to do to get saved or to stay saved. But it's biblical when I tell them you do that because you are saved. And so you have to change your mind about all that. And then once you change your thinking about what you thought would get you into heaven, the next thing you've got to do is actually place your faith in Christ. It's like changing your mind about that seat. Hey, that seat's empty. Oh, I could sit in that seat. I think I'll sit in that seat. You've just changed your mind, but you haven't sat in that seat. Now you've got to place your faith in Jesus Christ. So simply maybe say to the Lord, it's a mental transaction, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to have eternal life. My sin's forgiven. I can't promise you I'll never sin again. I probably will. But Lord, I want to thank you for going to the cross. I want to thank you that I've been forgiven of all my sins, past, present, and future. I want to thank you that you would give me a home in heaven waiting for me. And Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that my future is secure in you. And I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit who makes and keeps this all possible. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for this new life. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. And there are no hoops that I have to jump through. You've jumped through the hoops all the way to the cross so that I could have eternal life. And I thank you for it. Now, folks, that's where it says, call upon the Lord, you'll be saved. That's all it is. For by grace you saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works. It's by faith alone and Christ alone for the glory of God alone. I'm going to be quiet for just a moment for you to settle your eternal destiny right now between you and the Lord. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I'm going to simply just thank the Lord for this wonderful day, this opportunity for our, our communion. But I also would like to thank the Lord for you, that particular person, you, who today you're trusting Christ as your Savior. Now, for me to know that, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand if today was the day you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation. When I see that hand, I'm merely going to say, God bless you. I'm not going to walk to you. I'm not going to tap you on the shoulder. I'm not going to describe you in my prayer, mention your name. I will not have you stand up, kneel, come forward, say anything out loud. You will do nothing other than silently let me know by an uplifted hand, today was the day you trusted Christ. You're silently, I mean, you don't say anything, just your hand goes up. And I'm merely going to say, thank you, I saw that hand, so you know that I saw it. That's it. Now, me seeing you and me praying for you and you raising your hand will not get you into heaven. You are already born again the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm just now acknowledging that. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around so no one's embarrassed, wherever you are, very quietly, quickly, silently, just pop up your hand if today was the day 
that you trusted Christ and you'd like for me in some measure to pray for you and welcome you into God's family. Would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all? God bless you and you and you and you. If you have not done that yet, please don't put it off. Do it as soon as you can because we never know when will be our last time on earth. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that when we trust you as Savior, we don't have a hope-so salvation. We truly have a no-so salvation. I want to thank you that, Father, that it's by faith alone in you. I thank you, Father, for the word of God that you have preserved for us in accuracy and sufficiency so we don't need anything else to know about you other than your word and your spirit. We thank you for those that are going to teach us this. Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We can commune with you through communicating in a special heartfelt child-to-a-father type conversation in our hearts or with our lips. Father, I thank you for the fellowship of other believers. We are part of the community of the redeemed. We do have brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, we want to preserve our relationships in purity and holiness in love and grace and mercy. And Father, I thank you for the brothers and sisters that come alongside me. And then, Father, I pray for us to remember that we're just not left here on this earth to have a holy huddle, that we've been left here on this earth so we could be trained, equipped for the purpose of building loving, authentic, genuine relationships with people that are outside the faith and care enough for them to be a part of your forever family in love. So, Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for these that indicated by an uplifted hand that they were trusting you as Savior. And Father, I pray for those who didn't fill out a card or raised a hand or anything, but in their heart of hearts, they right now at this last moment are calling upon you. And so Father, thank you for the indwelling of the Spirit so that with him comes comfort, peace, power, and all that's necessary to live a life that's pleasing to you. In your precious name we pray, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.